0: Sing us something, Felix.
1: (laughs) Not quite. I'm going to change Wi-Fi's.
2: We have some questions here, um, but we more just wanted to like you're kind of setting the tone for everyone. We figured you'd be like a good weird guest to start with um, for this (laughs) for this general idea. does that sound like, does the, I'm curious, like, does the concept of the podcast make sense to you? Did this resonate at all with you?
1: Um, I actually, I wonder, cause I know Oz tweeted about, um, about me a while back and it got, it was, it was doing numbers as the kids right. say. it seems like there's a market for this kind of like vicarious tech career, lawyership. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know if I'm making too much of a thing but it does seem that people are like oh what if you know um not that like i'm putting myself out there as like an icon of you know the dream tech career but uh, for you know people look you know where the grass is greener and for some people it can be just an arcane alternative path like quantum computing or whatever you know so it does seem like there's, there's interest in it i'm not sure exactly what it is as like a cultural niche or concept but it only seemed like it got traction. I don't know if this makes sense. Yeah, I
0: mean that that tweet, the numbers that it did, as you put out, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, was part of the motivation for this. And I mean, you know, your story is great, <laughs> but uh, I immediately thought of a number of others, and um, just for everyone to know that there are alternative paths, and that there's more to technology than the web, and there's more to fulfilling career than whatever you happen to be stuck in at that time. That's the basic premise of this thing.
1: That's a good point actually. It's more than just like, you know, this kind of warriorship I was putting out there. You know, it's I think going into tech and Silicon Valley, a lot of it is actually fairly homogenous and mm-hmm. working even in like a different sector showed me how different software careers can be. So to your point, I think very much we don't know working like a typical Silicon Valley firm how uh, how varied and uh, how varied the flavors of the job are. I'm, I'm just
2: looking here at a another tweet that I don't know if it put up numbers, but it probably should have. It's from you the other day where you I'm just going to read it back to you uh damn if i can flex for a minute i had to drop out of high school because my grades were so bad and now i get paid professionally to eat cold lasagna out of a mug with a a plastic spoon in a dark room debugging a malfunctioning mirror mount while sob giggling for six hours um (laughs) how'd that do as far as numbers go for you
1: uh, pretty, pretty solidly in like the low tens range of, like, <laughs> for my 160 follower account. Nice. But yeah, it felt good. I think I posted that at like a very recent personal low point for me when I'd just been like debugging this one machine for 16 hours. And I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> if this is what it was all for, it's not, not a good look for Felix right now. So I was actually that was my third cup of lasagna, something <laughs> I didn't in the tweet out of uh concern for readership. But yeah. Well do you did uh, you, yeah. Did you uh did you figure that
2: out? Like can you just what does that even mean? What is a mirror mount?
1: Oh um we have uh these motorized um mirror mounts, so they'll like rotate position a mirror. Um And the reason it's important to rotate the position of mirrors is you want to, like, sometimes change the angle of, uh, like, a laser. Um, And the the path of the laser will be directed by mirrors and things like that. Um, So it's very important that it be able to change. It's very important that it be able to hold its position very well. Um, So that's it in a nutshell. Um, The ones we have tend to misbehave. They tend to, like, not hold the position you want um, they tend to miss the position, all these, like, they have all these arcane bugs and they're kind of like the bane of my existence.
0: So before we get into detail on the bugs that are the bane of your existence, uh, the story so far is that you dropped out of high school and now you're in quantum computing, but, uh, we should, we should, uh, tease that out a little bit. Uh, why, why did you drop out of high school? Tell us about your high school experience.
1: Uh, high school experience was, I was to say like a general flavor in my life is that it's really unnecessarily sad. Um, it's kind of like i will compare it to Grave of Fireflies and that you as you watch Grave of the Fireflies, you think to yourself, This is this is a little too much. You know, <laughs> this is like a little extra on the sadness if we could dial it back. And not that my life is as bad as Grave of the Fireflies, but it just you know has a lot of like weird moments in it and so high school was during kind of like the climax of this period of sad things happening in a sequence and i just like couldn't make it work out to keep on going to high school and other things so just dropped out at the time i dropped out i had my gpa was like a 1.5 or something and it was clear that i wasn't going to graduate so (laughs) probably rock bottom for Felix there.
0: So you, you kind of landed on your feet, though. Did you? Uh, did you end up going to university? Uh,
1: yes, I did. Only for a year, though. I dropped out of that one as well. So double dropouts is a rare, but that exciting. gets that gets extra points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what? Uh, dude, uh, can
2: I just interrupt? What is Grave of Fireflies like? I'm I'm now disappointed that I don't know about this like seemingly fantasy, sad narrative you're talking
1: about. Oh, sorry. It's the saddest movie I can think about. It uh, explores the life of two children um, in the wake of the Hiroshima bombing. Oh wow! And they just just try to survive in like uh, World War Two era Japan after having been nuclear bombed. And uh, wow, well, yeah, I'm sad for little feelings now. Ruined the mood of our of the podcast. Oh man, oh, man. it's That's a
2: really a... good movie. Check it out. Okay, it's on. It's on the list for sure.
0: Cool. So, t- tell the uh, listeners what what your college experience was like as well. Why why did you end up dropping? I mean, I know you wanted to become a double dropout because that's you know going to be the first couple of chapters of your your memoirs. Um, it's true. It but... is
1: very it's very tasty to <laughs> about um, but, but what, what that happened. I've that... had like as much concern for my personal personal brand. When I dropped out, uh, that was not the the reason why either. It's a combination of uh, unfortunately um, becoming injured and not having my scholarship renewed, athletic scholarship, Mm -hmm. Um, and like various other life combinations, culminating in like me deciding uh, to like kind of delay uh, returning to college until I'd figured that all out. Um, so at the time in which I dropped out, I was like, all right, well, I don't know if I can like make it work in terms of like paying for it, like the logistics of the situation. Um, so I'm just going to, uh, go work in tech essentially.
2: Yeah. Did you, when you were like thinking about that and contemplating that, I'm just curious are you the kind of person that views that as like, okay, I'm just going to figure out the next thing. Or is there like, I'm going to go back home and like spend some time trying to figure it out or. I'm just curious, like where, where did the plan begin and what
1: kind of just happened? Um, I was, a, I I guess like I wasn't sure if I could make it work. Um, so I started, I started exploring other options. Um, and at the time, like coding boot camps were just becoming a thing um so I was kind of like hedging my bets I said like okay I'll attend this coding boot camp and I'm like going to try to figure it out as I go along so while I was like making this decision uh I like ended up getting a job offer that I thought was like good enough to like warrant going with instead of coming back to college and I think like Basically, there was enough momentum behind taking this first job that I never ended up going back to college, and it was like complicated enough, and the barriers were high enough that it just never happened. And now it probably looks like it won't ever. So, in <laughs> school, there goes that English major. What were you like thinking about majoring in? Had you stayed? Literally, it's English major. It's spot on. <laughs> uh, I was going to be a literature major. Yeah. Cool.
0: Tell us about the um, thought process around going to a coding bootcamp. Like you said, it was early days. You, you were in one of the first Hack Reactor cohorts, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it was like Hack Reactor number four. It was a, it was very early on into this concept. I think it was like still like very fringe. And back then, bootcamps were like thirty people eating cereal in their pajamas and like you really full- come a
0: long way with the lasagna cups, dude. I'm proud of you.
1: <laughs> no, it's full circle. <laughs> Gone all the way back from the most expensive catering the city has to offer to uh, my scrappy roots. I it
2: just it's a transition breakfast to dinner, so it's
1: nice. Uh, true, yeah. I'd say. Um, like we were eating breakfast at dinner times, so <laughs> we to untangle what
2: is breakfast and what is dinner. I when I grew up, I don't think I. I mean, I think I had pancakes for dinner two out of three nights a week like I've asked my mom about it like going back <laughs> and I was like can you explain this in any way she's honestly no uh so I have a fondness there
1: yeah it's uh don't ever let that go should always pancakes should always be an option for any meal I think yeah so
0: you're looking into bootcamps they've only just started really um what's uh what convinced you to take the plunge
1: um to take the plunge into boot camp Yeah.
0: Yeah. Had you ever coded are you like
2: you read these stories about people where they're like, you know, I was coding when I was like prenatal or um, you know, I was making circuits out of like baby blocks and things like that. Had you done any anything with computers before, or was this just something interesting that you were willing to dive in?
1: No, I'd programmed, like, some games on my TI-83, but, like, really, like, basically no programming. So I did a little bit of the recommended resources they had. I applied one time, um, and then they rejected me because I was clearly not good enough at programming. Um, but I asked them what I needed to do to join, and they gave me kind of, like, some resources, like Project Euler. I think, honestly, like, I learned later that they were not expecting me to do any of this. And the guy thought I was, like, basically out of the running because my initial performance was so bad. (laughs) Um, But I was was taking it seriously. I was like, okay, this is what I need to do to reapply. So I studied for about like two weeks very intensely, and reapplied, went through the same coding challenge, and got in. Um, But that was, like, my first exposure to programming was kind of, like, going through those introductory learning resources. And The again the motivation
2: like did you do this because you saw like a viable career out of it or was it just something interesting you were willing to like tap into and then kind of the second question there is like as you were working on Project Euler were you like did something spark where you were like oh this is something interesting I'm kind of excited about this and I know that was kind of a bundled question there. Um, I was
1: like, okay, so like, I wanted to be a literature major, but. And this is kind of embarrassing. The idea I had was that I was going to write, I was going to explore video games as like a be- a hotbed for narrative. And I thought interaction was kind of an untapped space for writing narratives. So I had like a lot of like grandiose artistic ambitions for what I wanted to do with that. But it was all based around games and kind of like interactive art. So I thought, you know, at some point I'm gonna learn, need to learn how to code to do these things. And so it was kind of in line with those ambitions. So I imagined I was working towards the same future, but but through a different route. So when I started learning programming, I did like a lot of like little web games and things like that. Um,
2: Is anything still out there? Like any of these like little flash things or whatever you made first?
1: I think so. I like lost kind of track. I did one, I did like a larger project uh, at the bootcamp. It was like my group project, Um, it was like a space shooter. And then it was inherited over the years by several hack reactor cohorts and they added like various things to it. And it was like grew a feature bloat, bloat, like ridiculous VR enabled. <laughs> <laughs> now,
2: I remember one of the things I, cause I did hack reactor, I think 35, mm-hmm. um, so that was probably like six weeks later. Uh, <laughs> but um, one of the things I did like was that you, I, I, maybe they didn't have this at the time, but you'd inherit some project from someone else and you just have to deal with technical debt and they sort of like spoon fed those to you. So I didn't, I certainly didn't have your video game, but maybe someone else in my cohort might've which is kind of cool.
1: Oh yeah. Please love handing down to generations of code. uh It's a, I wonder if that is like the legacy, the worst legacy code I've I've ever produced. (laughs) Thinking through it now. Were you, uh,
2: were you like, uh, sorry, sorry. I was going to ask, like, were you living in San Francisco already? Did you like have an apartment? Were you couch surfing? (laughs) Like, how'd you figure that out?
1: This is uh... pre-job. I see. Oh, yeah, and like this, is, uh, this whole interview has been a bad look for me so far. <laughs> I was living with my parents, or my dad specifically, who also lived in San Francisco. Um, so at the time, I was just like crashing with him while I was figuring all this out. Got it, got it.
2: Yeah, because I, I think when they don't have these sort of remote things, and you're forced to be there, and then you're pre-job, and you don't even know if it's going to work out. I know when I moved to San Francisco, I was like couch surfing. Every And every Sunday was like the only day we didn't have class. And then I'd have to move to another apartment. And I had like, luckily, I had five to 10 friends, but I was like very quickly like cycling through all of them. And every one of them was like, almost at the point where they were like logging into my GitHub to make sure that I was like making progress that I wouldn't stay on their couch another couple of weeks. But
1: yeah Yeah, i uh, I have a ton of respect for everyone who did hacker actor and had like that kind of transient situation i think it's like really romantic to go through something like that unfortunately i was you know crashing on like a twin peaks queen-sized bed (laughs) nice yeah um how was the
2: like first job search how did that go um I know they do a lot of stuff with like career things, but like, were you were you looking for a game company, or were you looking? Were you kind of just like casting a wide net. How did you think about that?
1: Yeah, I tried to like do something involving graphics, um, so I applied to like a few companies doing that, and then some other companies. My friends had interviewed at. Um, I think I got pretty much I got rejected from everywhere except for this one place, which also was my top choice. Um, and they did They had kind of like a web platform slash web rendering engine. Um, and so it was like a very much a graphics job, uh, right off the bat. So it was exactly what I was looking for at the time. And it was like a nine person startup that had like a lot of hype as well. So it was the, it was the ideal job and it made it like really easy to decide to pursue that instead of trying to figure out what to do for college.
0: Tell, tell us about that. What, tell, tell us about what you're working on, because the product is um, pretty interesting at the time.
1: Um, okay, so yeah, the company is company was called Famous. I don't know if anyone remembers this at that point, but basically the idea was to, uh, browsers had recently unleashed support for the CSS 3D transform. And in order to actually like have three D layout, they made it so that if you applied a three D transform to a div in a CSS, it would be it would go through hardware compositing. So the part of the uh, HTML layout that you're animating in three D would be um, superimposed on other stacking contexts and this rendering would be done on the GPU. So you could exploit some, uh, hardware acceleration in terms of your rendering. If you wanted to animate things, basically, if you wanted to have one div moving at 60 frames per second over say like a background, then you could have have the layout of the div on that background be done on the graphics card. Um, so it was kind of like a little, kind of like a little hack that way for speed was the initial utility, but I think people were really drawn to the sophistication of the 3D animations we could do on the web, and people had never really seen a 3D on the web before, so it was very exciting at the time. I don't know if this is a good description, but hopefully, I pitched you. So, maybe.
2: what was the company? It, was, it sounds very cool. But was the company selling the utility or library to animators and game makers, or were you like how are you? How are you monetizing this? That's not clear to me.
1: Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Um, The monetization plan was never really clear. I think it was like a a lot about like building traction through marketing and things like that. But I guess the idea is that, say, like at the time, if you're trying to make mobile web apps, it was too slow to be of any use. Like even scrolling, say, like a news feed would be like thirteen frames per second, barely usable. Um, and we, only, we had the only, like, 60 frames per second scroll view on mobile web. So the idea was that really could only make mobile web apps happen with Famo.us um, at the time. And hardware and browser technology ended up catching up. And now you can, like, make a mobile web app and it's fine. But back in the day, in, like, 2013, it was a non-starter. So that was the, the great gap of utility that we were filling in for
0: so that was a great first job for you um you know you could have landed at some like crud app factory instead you got pushed a little bit you learned a bunch why why did you end up leaving
1: um it's a tough question to answer I think it's also keeping in the theme of sad things happening to (laughs) feel more of that happened at that company it's a it's very tough to be a company um that works by marketing. It means you can like rise very quickly, but die very quickly as well, right? If you're, like purely like word of mouth and hype based. Um, so I think famous had a bit of a swift death, unfortunately, and I got like, caught up in that. Um, so basically, with the fall of the company, I kind of like left as well.
0: So just for anyone listening, this whole podcast is not just going to be sad things happening to Felix. As a kind of, I just made a, I just a... made a note that that
2: should be the title of the uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> but we'll see. Maybe there's maybe there's a turn for the brighter. But um, so yeah, okay. So after that, that sort of ended. Like, where were you then? Like, what were you thinking?
1: Uh, after famous, I was very burnt out on tech actually. Um, so I was, I was actually, I thinking about going back to school. Um, But, you know, sad things happening to Felix. Broke up with my uh, girlfriend at the time. And, like, just in the stress of quitting this job, I just didn't have it in me to go back to school. Um, But I also didn't want to really do a tech job. I didn't feel like I had it in me. So I kind of... um, I started rowing again and I worked for a design agency, just doing like websites and like regular web dev kind of like part-time-ish. And eventually mounting into like full, full time where I was working like 14 hours a day, six days a week as uh, the project I was assigned on got like really close to its deadlines. But I worked that job for about half a year and then I went back to like my next actual tech job at a startup called flux which did architectural software
0: again did and again sad so things happening to Felix.
1: i think this
2: is when i maybe met you is this when you first like or like came into the bradfield
1: sphere oh no that was towards the end of flux i, oh, think so, okay. I actually had just quit flux which we have yet to get to in the oh. storm <laughs> but, um
2: <laughs> i did want to ask like rowing again does that mean you joined a team like, professionally or
1: semi-professionally? Um, or you were
2: just going to the gym? What did, what did that mean?
1: I joined, like, a... Uh, I guess a development club. So, you have, like... Um, these outfits, which will train... Where rowers can train at. Um, if they're, like, trying to make, like... Like, a national team. Or trying to, like, row a higher level. So, uh, I rode out of one of those... Nice. for a while nice. uh, i was not i wasn't a contender for the national team until um just like training at a high level yeah
2: is that? and would you like go do that in the morning before work how does that schedule i i from what i remember of college rowing it was like obviously very early in the morning
1: yeah uh at this club i had to wake up at five um in the morning to go to it and i would usually have like a second workout assigned for me to do. And I would just do it at the gym, um, or at home. So I eventually bought an indoor rower. So it was pretty time intensive, but definitely rewarding and kind of like got me back in my groove. So nice a appreciation for my decision to go back there. And I guess just the, the, the club being a supportive and, you know, uh, it's like a good environment.
2: Yeah, I mean, not to keep going into the rowing thing because we're going down a rowing rabbit hole, but sometimes I feel like in my own personal life when I return to something like that, it does feel like maybe, you know, is the sad story turning where, okay, I'm gonna go back and like pick up something that I felt like I had lost in this transition period. And was that at all something that you felt? Super leading question, obviously, but
1: uh Yeah, absolutely. I think I, like, I associated rowing with, like, getting myself out of, um, like, bad personal holes and kind of just, like, something that uh, just, like, helped me spiritually. And I think it's just purely because rowing is something where you can apply yourself, you can just do more work, and you get better. It's a very simple problem to have. You just, you want to get your times better, you just put in more meters, and it's just deterministic and simple and just like something I can do very well is just decide to like apply more time, more energy towards something. And uh, I think that was really the majority of the benefit was kind of getting back into this cadence of improvement. Yeah. I love that. And I love like
2: not pinning your spiritual well-being on like the job stuff alone, if at all. Uh, I think that's often a mistake that I've made when I've been too wrapped up in whatever I'm doing day to day at the office or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So, um, I think in the narrative, like, it sounds like we were doing, um, or you're doing some intense, like web development type stuff. And then you moved into another role. You want to just briefly tell us, we don't have to dive in too much here, but you dove back in, um, to another, like more specific tech company. Like what were they doing? What were you doing? What were you doing? Exactly.
1: Uh, yeah Flux was doing architectural software. they'd kind of spun they'd spun out of Google X and their idea was to like you know uh, disrupt architectural design um, and along the way it like pivoted a lot just because architectural design was such a small market, especially for like technology in architectural design. So a number of like various AEC which stands for architecture engineering and construction, products happened out of there um and while i was there i worked as kind of like a like a full stack web developer working like on these products and in the application space um i actually got to do like a little bit of graphics now and then so uh the technology was pretty sophisticated the team was very bright and uh like very capable i think i like learned a lot from nearly everyone there from like you know, interpersonal things—basically, like every component of life, there was a role model to learn from, and uh, it was a very, it was a very good time.
0: Did you feel like you learned a lot technically as well, or was it more
1: on the interpersonal side? I think, like for me, it was like it was a great period of interpersonal growth, but it was also I learned a lot technically. I think it stands out to me as like a place where I matured and I kind of like learned more of my identity in the workplace and in life, um, really. But it was also like having to work on like so many different areas of the web stack for such like a complicated and sophisticated product. Uh, was definitely a rewarding experience technically as well.
0: So sad things happen to Felix Flux is no more. I uh... You end up at Get Around, and Get Around is going to be our final stop before. Wait,
2: did way. Flux go under too? Did you like? Are you a bearer of bad news for these
1: companies, like, or did you choose <laughs> to leave? Uh, flux went down under as well, and it okay. was a really sad uh, and frustrating ending for oh, Flex. Okay.
2: Okay, Get Around. I know that's still <laughs> that's still in existence <laughs> for now,
1: for now. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing well. I think.
0: What What was your experience like then?
1: uh get around was like some good and some bad i think get around was like uh what i really wanted coming out of flux and famous um was like a real tech company like something that had a real product that had like you know actual users and kind of was just like a standard business um and i definitely got that um and it kind of like worked a like a very broad full stack role. I worked on like infrastructure, front end, back end, just like basically everywhere, kind of like standard full stack web development. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half. And towards the end, I started, I think this is like a typical middle career engineers. I started getting just like very burnt out uh, with like, I guess, software engineering in general. Was this a similar
0: kind of burnout experience to Famous, or I mean, you're talking about something being typical for, for mid level engineers? What, um, or just tell us about that that experience?
1: Um, I think no. Famous was more of an interpersonal burnout. It was just like a very bad exit for me, mm-hmm. and I was very young, so it was shocking. In that sense. Uh, I think Garen was like they're definitely. Like the more typical experience of software engineers getting like very bored with what they're doing um, and in particular I stopped believing the time I spent there was worthwhile. Felt like the time I spent was going in a black hole where I wasn't growing much of it. It didn't seem to do much for the company even though it was a lot of work like I spent I came in to get around wanting to restore more work-life balance and I ended up working not at like the peak cadence of my career which is like you know like 14 hours a day six days a week but still like a significant amount of my time is going to get around and I just I kind of just was just asking myself like why like why spend all this time because it doesn't seem to move the needle much at get around I don't I'm not like learning from it, it doesn't seem appreciated it just it seemed like an arbitrary waste of time.
0: So what kind of work were you actually doing that was taking time but not not making an impact?
1: I saw so like a lot of things. I was like, uh, We had a partnership with Uber and I was working to like, refactor our backend into an API that they could use. Um, I like redid parts of our extremely anachronistic web stack and React and Redux and all those things. Um, I ended up changing the uh, infrastructure of our search and of our index servers for car search Um, from like Ansible and like Snowflake servers to Kubernetes, so things like that. And it just felt like the impact of the code I wrote, even though it was high in volume, it didn't, like I failed to ever register the impact. What I did as an individual. I mean, I've been
2: thinking about this too because it feels like so much of this stuff is just plugging things together and then finding a way to plug it together slightly differently or
0: more better, uh, in quotes. Um, I mean, he just said refactor a few times, (laughs) and to me, that's like unplug and replug uh, with a new set of technologies.
2: Yeah, and like I don't know, like where do you get your satisfaction? Oh, we made it X faster, or you know, the customer didn't leave us or something so like I'm just curious where um like where did you think the satisfaction was going to come from and like when like if you actually achieved one of these things was it like a letdown like because I I definitely uh, feel a lot of these feels myself
1: um yeah uh I guess like to be honest like I hadn't I didn't really think about it I was just kind of I joined Get Around in a hurry. Um, I joined like right after I left Flux and I just like wanted a new job really quickly. I had this idea that I was going to work for a real business, but I just didn't really think things through to any degree of like personal philosophy or rigor thereof. So I had no real rationale for being there. I think kind of my metric was I really wanted to be recognized as like a prolific and like powerful engineer. And I like, and now, uh, you know, to a degree, I achieved that just because there were so few software engineers that get around that if you were like, if you just really cared for some reason about the code you're contributing, you could be like prolific and you won the award, but at what cost and for what, you know, <laughs> award. Uh, I just wasn't really thinking about it. I was just wanted to be recognized. I had no real motivation. I think I just wanted like some validation because it seemed like. Like a, like a video game almost, you know, you want to level up, but there's no real yeah, existential reason for it. So I just uh, was kind of living in bad faith to go uh, from existentialism. Yeah. No, I, I feel this too. And I, I think uh,
2: I've heard the phrase like pointed at me what, coming from like the non-traditional background. So I definitely have had these uh, internal like wanting to become like a mage or a wizard as much as I can just to like dispel that, that someone uh, would have like look at the background and have some doubts about my skills compared to X, Y, or Z person. Um, So that's been, it's been something I'm grappling with for sure. Did you ever like consider the other uh, like alluring star of, oh, maybe I can go into people management or become a manager or director of engineering or anything like that? Or were you definitely more thinking like uh, IC route always?
1: I've always thought IC route, always, pretty much. I've never really wanted to do management. And there's no, I can't really give a concrete reason why. I think I know I enjoy IC a lot, even though I'm like, uh, I've experienced burnout doing it. Um, But no, uh, all was just IC.
2: Cool. So how did you you escape Get Around?
1: Escape Get Around? (laughs) Um I had like a very drawn out quitting process. Um So I, I think I in total I gave 4 weeks of notice basically. Um like a month and a half. Uh and yeah, I just wrapped up the work I had there and left to uh, left to some some sadness. It was actually very sad to leave even though I at the time I did it, I felt very much that it was the right decision. Um, and I don't entirely know why, because I was very unhappy by the time I left, but still felt like something, something very significant had changed. And I think that thing was that working in software, I always believed that there was kind of a deterministic path upwards that would keep on working for better companies as like like a more powerful, more responsible individual contributor and this like trajectory would trend upwards. But quitting a job because of burnout and not having a plan afterwards was like a clear setback. And it wasn't clear that I'd be able to get back on this ladder. So for me, it was like kind of like an end of an era of of endless optimism or improvement. I I don't know if that makes sense, but That was my feeling at the time. And so when I left Getaround, I had no, you know, I wasn't going to do a job search immediately. Um, I kind of had this idea that I was going to do, you know, whatever I wanted since I had, you know, some time and space and some savings to pursue like whatever that was. And whatever I wanted was uh, research into some niche theoretical computer science topics that I'd started looking into while I was at Getaround.
0: So tell us about that. How did your, uh, interests originally get sparked? How did you end up on that path of inquiry?
1: Um, I think, uh, like throughout my career as a software engineer, I'd always been wanting to learn more and get better. It's like a recurring theme in my motivations. I just wanted to be better as a software engineer. So I learned whatever it took. I started out learning traditional CS topics. Um, And the more familiar I became with those, the more I saw a need to familiarize myself with math. And so the later I went into my career, the more just math I studied. Um, So things like linear algebra, et cetera, and kind of this this background in math re-renewed my interest in computer science through theoretical computer science. And I read a lot of literature in that area. In particular, a book that was really influential for me was uh, Quantum Computing Since Democritus. And it didn't really get me interested in quantum computing specifically so much as theoretical computer science and uh, like uh, pure mathematics. Can I, I, can I
2: cut off what is theoretical computer science?
1: Yeah, theoretical computer science. Um, it's, hard to really, it's hard to really pin down. I guess it talks mostly about what computers can do um, the capabilities of computers, um, and it does that by, you know, like defining the full set of tasks you could, in theory, run on a computer. And kind of like, if you impose some resource constraints, is also are also kind of interesting questions for theoretical computer science. Like, if we only have so much time to run an algorithm, which algorithms can you run? So questions like that, like how powerful are computers? How powerful are computers if you only have this much time? How powerful are computers if you only have this much space? Can a computer that can run non is a computer that runs non-deterministically as powerful as a computer that runs deterministically? So it's so questions about that, about the abstract computer. Yeah, it's interesting to me that um, it
2: sounds like the your interest in quantum computing naturally emerged from the things you were looking into versus at the outset. I think what I would probably do is say, here are three fields that I'm generally interested in, like robotics, uh, mm-hmm. virtual reality, or some other thing, and then kind of pursue all those independent, like kind of at the same time. Um, but it seems more like you felt this natural interest in continuing your studies in mathematics and theoretical, and it just naturally evolved. Did that surprise you? Or did you expect a, did that? Did, is that something you expected to happen? Or did you think you'd have to be more specific at some point? I guess if you like, if you looked
1: at Felix at the point at which I became interested in theoretical computer science, and that was like a That's So Raven esque vision, I, like, first got <laughs> science, then I would be like, I would be pretty perplexed. It would not seem like an obvious leap. But like in truth, like across time, the reason I got interested in uh, quantum computers is a continuation of questions I'd had about computers and programming since I basically since I got into the field. Um, my questions ever since we had to, at Famous, we had to design like an API for our engine. And I would always wonder, what makes an API more complicated or less complicated? Like, why is it that people feel that our API is too hard to use, but some APIs are simpler? And so that question has very much guided a lot of my like interest in computer science, trying to figure that out. And through like a bunch of roundabout discoveries, it's, in a way led back to quantum computing which i i realize doesn't make sense as i'm
2: like describing it so vaguely but, <laughs> but, but what what were some of the reasons like that you unearthed about why an api might be harder or not
1: um yeah it gets uh, i think like uh, it's um I forget a lot of my prior thinking on this, but a lot of it like comes down to I think like I there's a there's a fork in the road of which you have to consider kind of the the human interface of it like to what degree human psychology plays into it. Um, I was I was less focused on exploring that angle and more interested in like the inherent complexity. Of, uh, of an API or a programming language um, and I think for me it was fruitful to begin learning about category theory which just talks about which category theory is a branch of mathematics that um, studies objects in the world but how they relate to each other a central finding there is that you can completely define something just by um listing its relationships to any other object that you might care about. So it's just the study of things through how they relate to each other. Um, and you can kind of break down a program by saying this function composes of this function. So by like building up your program from like a bottom-up set of functions and how they compose and relate to each other, you can begin understanding the fundamental complexity of something as a, as a result of like how complicated its relationships are. It was like at a very high level, it's like one branch. Um, like another thing in theoretical computer science that uh, I thought was promising was a state space complexity, like how big the set of innumerable states of a program was. Um, and that was exciting to me because it was like like a very big number that increases, uh, that can increase as like, an asymptotic function. So had the flavors of like, when we talk about time complexity, how it scales quadratically or exponentially. Um, it seemed like the same success as we had there in talking about which algorithms run faster in time could be applied to programming languages or APIs in terms of like how large they make the state, they make the space of innumerable states. And that's kind of like where I think that's where I left those questions, but it's kind of like moved
2: on. Is when, when you're thinking about like looking into that stuff, Is your mental state that I'm going to pursue this stuff because it's interesting or that there's some distillation of this that I'll be able to like tangibly make use of?
1: I think I, I kind of like ask myself, like, why is this, why is this framework more or less complicated than another framework? And I'll be like, it makes me really uneasy and I'll think about it for a while and I won't be satisfied. And just like throughout life, there will come moments where I have like a flash of insight and I think, oh, it could be because of this or I'll be studying something else and it relates to this original question I had. And there will kind of be like a, a burst of enthusiasm as I kind of make the connection and I'll investigate how it relates to this original question, develop more of my theory behind why I think, you know, this framework is more complicated than another framework and just generalize the ideas there. So, so something that happens over a very long period of time.
0: It's funny because Richard Hamming talks about this in, um, I feel like have you read you and your research or watched his lecture, you and your research?
1: Uh, Richard Hamming?
0: Yeah. I have not. Dude, you should, you should check it out for sure. Um, one thing he points out is that the, so, you know, Richard Hamming is someone who uh, never quite qualified for a Nobel Prize, but um, the, uh, worked with a lot of people who did um, and uh, was, a, was a very accomplished mathematician himself. And he um, tried to identify what were the characteristics that brought him and his, his colleagues, including his Nobel Prize winning colleague, success one of the things that he identified is that these people walk around with problems that are just kind of nagging away at them um, uh, for years and kind of jump at little opportunities to consolidate an insight or a discovery or something that someone else has had because it it steps them just a little bit forward in, in their nagging problem. And he talks quite a bit about, you know, which of these problems are feasible, or which of these problems are good to have in your head, you know, big problems that are, are tractable in some way. Um, but it strikes me that that's what you were kind of doing, that you, you had a couple of these that were in your head and then occasionally you said you'd have a flash of insight or you'd, you'd consolidate some, some other experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very precisely that, yeah.
2: So how did quantum emerge as the thing you then decided to dive
1: into uh, further? Um, I think while I was looking into theoretical computer science for like in order to answer these burning questions I had previously, I kind of realized like how actually like how general and momentous the like the findings of theoretical computer science are in the world. Um, And I guess like. The uh, to explain it intuitively, um, the computers, uh, like a, a big finding in theoretical computer science is that, um, there's something called a universal Turing machine, so it's like some machine, um, that can compute any computable function, which seems like a tautology, but <laughs> computable function, um, ends up being like actually something like an extremely general task. Um, and although Turing's machine has some like very specific and bizarre rules, it's universal and it can simulate any other Turing machine or like equivalent model of computation. So kind of like these these generalities bubble up and you kind of see that a computer is actually not really, doesn't really need to be a machine at all, but actually describes like, like a very general and broad class of problems. Um, And I kind of like to summarize it by saying that like, like deductive logic is in, like there's a, there's a proof, there's a mathematical proof and um, program equivalence, since a Turing machine can execute any program, you could say that a Turing machine effectively can execute any proof. So we have to think of like, proofs are basically just our way of thinking deductively about things. And I think, like, for the most part, our conscious experience and how we think rationally um, effectively reduces to, like, some kind of mathematical proof. You know, we make assumptions and we make, like, deductive statements about them. And that is, like, the experience of thinking cognitively, of, like, your most resonant inner voice is kind of, like, the deductive logic of your mind. And so you think of, like, deductive logic and what we can do with it um, very neatly encapsulated by computer science and deductive logic and just, like the conscious experience it's like what we will know if 100 percent certainty about the world and we know the limits of what we will know about anything what we can deduce about anything are like very elegantly described by the limits of computers so we know like if something takes exponential time to figure out probably not going to happen for us um, and then there are some things that we can never, ever figure out, apparently. That's the, uh, the halting problem, for instance. There are, like, entire classes of, like, facts about integers that we would just, like, never, ever. So there's these limits of knowledge about the world. And that, to me, was fascinating. Um, so just, like, exploring this idea of, like, how is, like, knowledge itself limited? And, like, what does that mean for our experience in the physical world? Um, and quantum computing plays into that. I don't know if I've, if I've gone on too long to
2: kind
0: of, no, I could listen.
1: Uh, to yeah. Long. No,
2: this is, yeah. I'm, I I'm, ma- I'm making all these mental notes to go back and like re-listen to that to try to understand it at some <laughs> point. But like what's going through my head, which it might be completely absurd um, when you're talking about people trying to, or being able to like replicate deductive knowledge through, um, you know, through a computing device. And then I, I, without really going to like free will debate, like I think that I, if I act capriciously or randomly, um, how does that fact, like I'm, as a human being, I'm not always acting deductively, but maybe that itself can be predicted by certain things. But the little bit I've read about quantum computing, uh, it also seems to have some nature of like unpredictability in terms of like the current state. And I don't know if those things are related or if I'm just kind of talking out of my butt right now.
1: Oh, yeah, so let's say, like, okay, like, your classical model of computation has, like, very general rules. It says that, like, any, um, if you have some some state, some memory, um, and you can update it, uh, you, you can update it based on the previous state at discrete points in time. So you have, like, time step one, time step two. Like, any process that is using memory and updating it at like, at discrete points in time, as I've said, is effectively a computer. So we have the brain, the brain is finite in space. So you can say it has like a discrete and finite amount of memory. And we like whenever you think to yourself a thought that's like, Oh, if this is true, then this must also be true, you know, then you're effectively doing something that happens in discrete time, time step one is the first thing you thought time step two is the Next thing you thought as a result of that. So uh, hopefully this does more to communicate, like exactly how general a computer is. Mm. Um, like an algorithm is also like this. An algorithm says, has like, is like a recipe for how a process should be carried out. It's like step one, step two. Uh, a recipe happens at discrete points in time. Um, you know, you like step, it has steps, you know, you're updating things, you keep. Uh, bags of baking soda around that's kind of your memory, but like very much like any process that happens in discrete time is described by a classical model of computation. Um, and there's very good evidence that quantum computation is is like faster or more powerful than this classical model, and this classical model is already like so broad and so general. And like describes like pretty much nearly anything we do as humans of information, that it's just like to think the physical world is is bigger than or in excess of what we can do just with like a process of like I'm going to do this, then this, then this, and then this, etc. It's uh, it raises a lot of questions for me. Is the difference
2: then that the classical computing model? Um, is able to capture things in these discrete time points, and quantum can represent continuous. Is that the distinction?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say that's the that's the distinction I like to use. Um, a lot of people uh, will describe the ways in which quantum computing is more powerful than by citing like I don't know if you've heard of like interference or entanglement. Yeah, I was thinking that's like uh, going to bring like
2: intergalactic communications or teleportation or something based on the the threads i've been reading but
1: uh that's about all i know uh yeah i mean those that's a that's actually kind of a uh a slight misreading of like how it <laughs> would work but yeah say like entanglement interference like the primary mechanisms people think of quantum computing being more powerful than classical computing Uh, But I would say they end up just being a consequence of the fact that quantum mechanics can happen continuously, can like update a discrete state continuously. It's uh, basically, you look at the mathematics of quantum computing and you take its assumptions and it ends up looking almost exactly like regular probability, except that you can change a probability distribution continuously through time. And so since this is the only difference it makes things like entanglement, which just describes statistical correlations between two variables, um, much more, that's what ends up empowering things like entanglement, which again is just another word for correlation.
0: So this is all very interesting, but I'm most interested in the story of you uh, deciding or at least ending up in a situation where you can do this for your job. So I think the point we left the kind of Felix, sad things happening in Felix story is uh, burning out and get around quitting and you deciding that you wanted to just kind of vaguely do what you want. And what, what you wanted was to research theoretical computer science. Uh, how did you go from there to, well, what happened then? What happened next?
1: uh I was researching these initial theoretical computer science topics um and they led into quantum computing uh, eventually and i think it, like ties back to what we were talking about like continuous versus discrete uh i was looking into like computer science versions of those and quantum computing i think is like the hotbed for discovering how computer science interacts with a uh, continuous versus discrete were
0: you thinking that you might find a career in this space, or at this point, were you just trying to recover from burnout? What, what were you, was your overall thought? Was I,
1: I was kind of. Uh, I was trying to figure out what to do. Um, I was kind of. I dimly hoped to pivot into academia somehow, um, maybe by doing my own research. But I had no real concrete plan. Um, I was just going to like keep going till I ran out of money, basically. <laughs>
0: How how long was that? I mean, not to get personal, but how how much time did you give yourself?
1: Uh, I gave myself um, at least half a year and then maybe more. And, it, and, up... that's, and that's like focusing
2: on quantum computing, where you've sort of made this decision. This is what I'm going to dig into. I'm now going to give myself six months.
1: Uh, no, it happened before that. I left Get Around and I said, I'm going to start applying to jobs again six months from now. Okay. Um, and then we'll just see where I am when that happens. Um so six by the time six months had rolled by, I'd done a whole lot of quantum computing. Um I was definitely interested in applying to companies that did things in that space. And I think it was clear to me that I wasn't ready to like make my comeback into academia. So <laughs> just uh I applied to some quantum computing companies and I think also and also Google basically.
2: Uh, so I looked at your LinkedIn, which is like not super helpful. Uh, (laughs)
1: Um,
2: what are you a quantum engineer right now? Like what is, what is your role?
1: Oh, I know I do. I do regular software. So I don't, a quantum engineer would be like making algorithms. We call that a theorist actually. Um, so no, I don't do theory work. I just do like regular software. Um, I guess like, I do like systems engineering, really, like the bulk of what I do is making and maintaining uh, device drivers for devices in the quantum computer. And is like, is that sort of work
2: continuing to wet your appetite uh, as you're learning these things? Like, you know, going back to your story about the mirrors, um, it like it sounds like that's awesome. It's also like when you describe that, I, you also could be like working on the International Space Station for all I know in terms of it sounds like you're doing like physical hardware work as well. Um how I just generally how's the experience been so far? Uh
1: yeah, I do I do much less like I was very interested in theory. Um before I joined, and I do like very little theory now. But the work is still great. Like it's only been it's only been two months, so it's like hard to disentangle what could be the honeymoon effect or not, but definitely I enjoy my work a lot. Um, Not for, and I, again, I don't work in theory, so I'm not doing exactly what I was doing beforehand, but, uh, working with physicists, working on more of a research project, um, is very motivating to me. I feel like the time I spend grows me a lot. I learn a lot. Um, time spent like helping people that have like come to like like really like care about and like want to succeed and I feel like it helps the success of the project which has become really important to me so this problem I had to get around where I was wondering where all the time was going and you know if I was spending it well I just would never experience that here even though I'm not necessarily doing the theory work I was aspiring to do and I left get around so I I want to dig
0: in a little bit to what that six months was like for you because the way that you describe it is like, oh, yeah, I, I did research, I covered a lot, and then I got a job <laughs> at the company. And uh, what, um, what, Firstly, what was your day-to-day like during those six months? Like, how much study were you doing? Were you working towards particular projects? What, what did a day resemble?
1: Um, I think, like, I was working part-time. So, I would do, like, two days at my job part-time, and I would work as much as possible for that job. Um, so generally like get in at eight, go back home at like 10 or o- uh, go to bed at like 10 or 11 at night. And then I would have to wake up for rowing like at four in the morning. Um, so these two days are like very intense. Um, then I basically did, uh, like four days of studying, of researching, um, which kind of like changed as I proceeded through the six months. I started out. Reading one textbook and doing problems from it, it was Nielsen and Chuang's uh, Quantum Computation and Quantum Information. Um, oh so God. I would grind through this textbook, and I did that for about like the first the first month. I was looking, and so I was still I was not doing quantum computing. So I'd say like months two through four, but so for three months basically.
0: At what point did it start to dawn on you that this could be a feasible uh, area for you to to actually work?
1: Um, Basically, never until I... uh, I think what happened is I uh, I joined the Rigetti community channel. Um, Rigetti is a startup that works in quantum computing. Um, and I was, as I was trying to learn it and I was using their community resources to kind of get a higher level overview of how quantum computing works as I was doing like very low level theory stuff. Um, and at one point, Will Zeng who's like a big figure in quantum computing and has like done a lot of open source quantum computing work, um, posted in the channel. And he said, if you want to apply to FOSDEM, which is an open source computer science conference, With a quantum computing talk, we have a quantum computing track and like everyone, feel free to submit your talk. It can be like a project made or an open source project that already exists, you want to support, et cetera. Um, So I had an idea that I would make like an open source project as like a capstone for my quantum computing research and uh, try to present it there. And I applied there and I didn't hear back for two months and I thought... Like there was no way I would get in. And then around January they actually emailed me back and said uh that they'd accepted my talk. So And like, then were you like shit, I stopped working on this two months ago? Yeah, actually yeah. I had stopped working on it yeah. because someone else in the Slack channel had worked started to work on like something similar. Um but then I had to like really ramp up development to be ready in time for this talk. Uh but that was kind of like the first time I actually I had a lot of like imposter syndrome about it and I thought I had imagined that the state of like people who worked in quantum computing to be like so much more familiar and capable with it than I was. But in truth, I was like, actually, uh, I was pretty on the level even then. What's the
2: like TLDR of the project that you worked on and is it, is it still, is it out there? I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, it still works. It's on my GitHub. Okay. By my it's like a, it's pretty simple. It's just, um, there's a lot of like open source quantum simulators and it's kind of like an extension of that. The idea was that it was like a standalone visual debugger that could take a um, uh, little quantum programs and then display the circuit. And it would just like show you like how that circuit, the probability distribution of the circuit changed over time, which is like. Something that is like very important if you're trying to learn quantum computing from a computer science perspective and you want to see like how your algorithm is executing. And for me, it was very useful. It gives like a very like computer science picture of the uh, execution of an algorithm.
2: And did you prepare like one of these like formal papers to go along your, with your presentation or like I'm just curious about like the standards in the community. Like, was <laughs> there, yeah, go on uh i
1: my presentation was very scrappy um <laughs> i was going up against a lot of people's phd uh, projects good lord so there were like, some very some incredibly well done slideshows. um i think about like halfway through my seminar when we were going at them i was like okay you know what, just fake it till you make it, Felix. <laughs> a lot of incredibly uh, impressive projects going on. But I was like, all right, you know, I'm here. I did my thing. I'm just going to show them what I got. And it was a Google Slides default theme. Um, I removed a slide of memes in it because I <laughs> was aware that that was not the tone. That was currently- you I- removed it, like, in the session
2: right before you are about to go on?
1: Oh, yeah, like, as I was... Pretty much by the time the third project rolled around and it was some guy was like, we've completely revolutionized quantum circuit optimization for blah, blah, blah. This one person was like a PhD student at SMU and she'd like developed this like mono, like enormous quantum circuit optimizing compiler. And it was like, I think right before she went, I think someone said like, oh, quantum open source needs more compiler work. It's just like so incredibly important. And I was like, uh, I don't know, I was feeling the pressure. So, uh, I had a much scrappier presentation than everyone else, but uh, uh, I think people still enjoyed it.
2: And like doing that and like chatting with people at, at that conference, what did that do for your thoughts on job, career, confidence, like? Um, it sounds like it was a good experience, but you know, where were you mentally after that? Um,
1: I think like, I was really happy to have done the, uh, to have done the project. Um, I was stoked that like people seem uh, excited about it. Um, I think definitely after we did the project, we had some time for just like to invite people to work on it. Um, and the people that worked on my project with me, it was like, it was just like a really great experience. Um, I talked to this like older engineer from just from Amsterdam who'd come here with his colleagues and he knew nothing about quantum computing, but he'd gone to all the quantum computing talks because it sounded so interesting to him. And so he like knew nothing about it, but he but uh, was, you know, submitted two PRs to my project and seemed like. had a very good grasp of it and talking to this person who was just so curious and quixotic but despite being like an enterprise dev from Amsterdam like experiences like that more than anything like all the networking I did because I was actually like incredibly incompetent at networking (laughs)
0: oh
2: man um yeah so you
0: got a job despite the uh networking incompetence what, what was the... How, how far after FOSDEM did you start applying for jobs and how were you received?
1: Um, I basically, I'd applied to, uh, basically only to IonQ and to, uh, to Rigetti in the quantum computing space um, around FOSDEM. Um, Rigetti took a long time getting back to me. Um, and by the time they did, I think I was already uh, leaning more towards IonQ. Um, so IonQ happened after uh, I did Fosdom. Um, I did my initial phone screen before and then I did my 1st onsite on-site afterwards. Um, I don't know to what extent having gone to Fosdom informed me being uh, uh, them giving me an offer, but definitely uh, I think it helped. I'm not too sure. I've never I've never circled back on that. But I've presented my uh, I presented my project Qbug at a, an internal talk here, and uh, yeah, it was it was also well received.
2: Are there really only a handful of quantum computing companies right now?
1: Uh, yeah, it's like the the entire community is really small. Yeah. Like I think follow basically everyone in it on Twitter. It's a uh, it's not a lot
2: did you feel like the interview process was markedly different or more specialized than the standard web dev interview process you had gone through before for get around, for example, like, like did you need to have that specialized knowledge? Certainly the presentation helped, but you know, how is that experience interviewing?
1: Um, I think definitely like uh, iron cube very much focuses on like your ability to communicate with physicists and understand their needs um, just be a generalist that way. So the interview process like, consequently reflected a lot of the values around that. Um, you talk to people from like every different department. So not just software engineers. I think I only interviewed with two software engineers, but also, you know, like physicists, um, control people, et cetera. So. I think IQ really values an interdisciplinary and communication-heavy culture, and I think the interview optimized for that. So it was it was it was particular in that way. Like I would go through, and my interview with the physicist, for instance, she uh she wanted me to she described a software problem she had in writing a script for running an experiment, and she was like, "How could I?" improve this or make it more elegant and have like walk through trying to understand her problem and, uh, my proposed improvement.
2: Do you think that, um, this whole transit, it sounds like you've ended up in a nice place. Do you think, had you not taken the time, the six months or so to put yourself in that position, like, would you have ended up in the same place here? Would you still be at a traditional web dev job? I'm just curious, like, you know, when I think about, uh, job searches and things like that and to think that you have to bundle it all in in the mornings or evenings and I guess how important was the time away to have ended up where you've ended up
1: um I think definitely I had like a lot of passion for quantum computing going in which I think is like the main reason I went through the phone screen it was like clear that I like really loved quantum. Computer. um and so it was, like, mostly for things like that, honestly. It gave me the confidence to apply, and then I was, just like, so into it. That, like, the the interview took very little energy because I was able to, like, ask questions to people about quantum people, things like that. Um, and so I have to think that it was, like, mostly about just having the confidence to apply and then, like, having, like, at that point, such, like an obvious obsession with it. Yeah.
2: I was thinking, too, like, what is the... Do you have a great example of like a hello world for quantum computing where the impact that this would have would be like pretty obvious and easy to see, um, you know, if I, if I went on, cause I looked at Rigetti and it seems like you can at least like get access to their quantum computer, kind of like AWS is, are there like approachable projects for people to dive in and get started right away?
1: uh yeah actually i think like like a big one people do first is the quantum teleportation circuit so you can like actually implement an algorithm that teleports quantum i told you you could
2: (laughs) i'm looking at Oz right now (laughs) i thought i said uh teleportation was obvious but uh
1: well yeah so quantum teleportation people imagine is like being able to instantly transfer information and it ends up being like i guess something you could learn as a result of doing this is that you fundamentally you have to send classical information at some point so you're still limited by the rate of transmission of classical information what it does allow you to do is actually like um communicate quantum information so that's what people mean when they say quantum teleportation it's called teleportation because quantum mechanics forbids you from cloning quantum information um So it's like, in a sense, teleporting a quantum state from one place to another, even though it has to happen through a classical channel.
2: I just, I still have a few nerdy questions about quantum computing. Um, This, this sort of uh, quantum computing can do things that classical can't. It seems like from like looking around, like a lot of the folks are saying, we don't know exactly what these problems are, or it hasn't actually been, it hasn't happened yet, but it will. And when it does, it's going to be great is it like have we solved anything or demonstrated that quantum is better than classical or is it still all um coming coming soon
1: uh it's coming i don't yeah. know if it's coming soon but like definitely for like literally the most contrived problem you can imagine quantum computers are still slower than classical computers and i think will be for like at least 3 years
2: 3 years okay cuz you know thinking about your career um and like the prospects of these businesses like they they need by necessity need to be in there for like some long haul medium haul in order to like does the business have to prove that quantum computing is better than classical computing to work um and they, not necessarily where you work but just like generally with these quantum companies
1: um i think uh like people are people are ionq at least communicates like a very conservative timeline where we say like at least three years or at least like 10 years for anything like uh that's like actually impacting society at any scale Mm -hmm. um so we're very conservative of our messaging traditionally it's like few yeah um so generally that's what we're telling investors and investors i think are are still on board for the most part people are very much like trying to get behind quantum computing early, it seems. Um, so like, like companies, like corporate R&D departments of companies who, where there's potentially near-term impact in terms of like, quantum computing theory has already devised an algorithm that may be able to help them, like uh, people in folks in chemistry and uh, making like airplanes, etc. cetera will like already begin investigating how quantum computing might be useful. And so they're willing to do experiments. They're willing to see like when the stuff is useful, how could we integrate it? And that takes like real quantum computing hardware to experiment on. It takes like quantum computing software consultancies for them to begin preparing things. There's a legitimate business even now in terms of like actual interest from R&D departments um, and cloud providers. Uh, for like what the future that is coming, so it's not just like, we have to deliver near term value now. I think like the whole industry is like, we know that like at least 10 years for anything like slightly useful, but everyone's on board.
2: Do you feel like, um, your theoretical studies, have they kind of abated now that, now that you're there and kind of breathing it through osmosis or are you still going home and burning the midnight oil? Uh, trying to trying to do more of the theoretical stuff
1: I try to always read at least one paper. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to do it this week just because like I have so much yeah I've <laughs> like, worked is taking so much time in other ways, but that's, I, that's one paper a week to, yeah, okay. I still try to read at least one paper um and then whenever I'm like talking to the theorists, I like try to ask questions and things like that which is also a habit i've like gotten worse set. it's like this uh, persistent accumulation and asking of questions so very recently i've like i've slipped from my discipline of uh keeping practice of theory but like for at least the first month i was uh still like, religiously at it so
0: felix i have just one final big question for you Uh, which is what advice do you have for somebody who uh, feels the same kind of angst that you felt uh, as you described it as a mid-level engineer getting burnt out with software engineering who thinks they may have a better life elsewhere Uh, how should they think about this process what should they do what what overall guidance would you give such a person
1: Um. I guess there's a lot of privilege in what I'm saying, but definitely, like, if you're feeling, like, burnt out and that, like, especially if you don't know why you're spending time working where you are or you don't think your time is valuable, I would quit and put yourself in a place where you can just begin, like, a long self-examination and ask yourself, okay, where do I think my time would be well spent? Like, why? What do... I need like what have i enjoyed so like just like a long probing and like relentlessly asking yourself questions like what is it that i actually want what is it that i find rewarding like what um where do i think i could spend my time and have it grow me to create something i care about etc and it doesn't have to be as something as like technically arcane as quantum computing like uh i think like Honestly, in retrospect, it's clear to me that like working with people who are passionate about what they do is, is something that's very important for me. And like working in like a tight, inter- interdisciplinary um, company is also very important. But these things have less to do with quantum computing theory. And indeed, I've like done less of that naturally as I've been working here more. So I think it's like incidentally, I found uh, what works for me. And I know now like what kind of companies I should be going for, even if they have nothing to do with farming. So. so Okay. I, one,
0: one final, final question. Yeah, I knew here. that was going to happen. Uh, there's obviously risk involved. You told me that you really imagined that it was going to work until it just about did. Uh, so... What can somebody in this position do to maximize the chance of a good outcome for themselves? Like, how how would you distinguish between someone who's likely to make it work after, you know, as you said, quitting and taking the time to discover what they're looking for versus someone who ends up back in the same situation they were before or has to make a, another set of compromises? Like, what made it work for you? Or what what do you think it might, might make
1: it work for other people? Um, I think, like... The thing about quantum computing is studying it. I studied it for the right reasons. I think like I didn't, I didn't have this expectation that it would make me like incredibly wealthy or you know would be like a glamorous lifestyle. It just was the thing I was most interested in, and so studying it, um, getting integrated into the community is mostly came for free It took like no energy to devote long hours and like a lot of discipline for studying this stuff because it was like it gave me energy in fact so you find like for me thankfully i found something i like loved enough to like do in my spare time and like devote all the time necessary into it and i think like that kind of a, um just like relentless devotion to it came across in how i interviewed and so like in general in my introduction to the field so i think like if you have the right reasons and you're very motivated intrinsically by something and you're just like very passionate about it then that is something you should pursue i don't know that felt unsatisfying to me but there's like a feeling of, of rightness and of like a a purity and it's not like about money or status or anything like that it's just like it's something that you love spending your time on and if there if such a thing or interest exists for you then like definitely uh that's the way to go i think if you have you know of course if you have like a vacancy of responsibilities and enough like financial freedom to make it work felix
2: my final question is um how accurate is the quantum realm in the movie Ant Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Oh man, people, people were so mad about
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of anger. Um, yeah, I guess like I don't know enough about the movie. I do know that in the quantum mechanics community, just a lot of scorn about some of the misunderstandings there. Yeah, oh,
2: that's a, that's kind of a bummer. it's just it's a place that um, just be careful if you ever accidentally stumble on that in your current workplace. Um, Uh, having seen the movie my style final final question like do you see yourself going back to you know you were you wanted to be an english major storytelling games do you see a return to that at some point or are you like you know is that something you're thinking about
1: yeah um as i've you know as i've been in dc i started taking writing workshops um over at the writer center in bethesda and i'm like trying to like get into like a regular practice of of writing creatively, something I haven't done in a while. But yeah, absolutely. Cool. cool.
0: All right, Felix, you're an absolute inspiration to me. I hope you are to others as well. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, to chat with you. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, likewise, guys. Thanks, Felix. Can you, uh, just because we didn't say this in the beginning, can you just state your name and occupation? I, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know I don't know why I wanted to phrase it that way, but that was like the first thing I wrote. So would you mind? Are we going to
0: edit this back into the... Maybe, I don't know.
1: I don't know how to edit um i'm felix tripier software engineer thank you felix this thanks. was great we'll talk to you later yeah, of course thank you okay. good luck uh, editing this yeah, thanks <laughs> thanks man